0: Back to the call up your go-to podcast on the future stars of major league baseball i'm arm layton he's jack McMullen, and we've got a lot to discuss on the opening day roster kind of situation with a lot of top prospects some we found out made it some of the most notable prospects we got the really cool you know like behind the scenes hidden camera video but all, all these guys first of all have to know that they're on camera now because we've had so many of you're getting the call to the big leagues videos, which will never get old, uh, but also a few more decisions that are could be made literally as we're recording this. So a pretty cool time to kind of break this down, talk about you know the prospects that made it, what we think, how much of an impact we think they can make, and then some of those decisions that have yet to be made. Jack, any big surprises for you so far? I think there's some kind of surprises because we've talked about it and there's some areas where things that i said haven't totally gone that way so i'm excited to rehash that and kind of go over how it went a little different but did anything really surprise you so far
1: yeah i mean i think some of the options surprised me where guys got optioned down where i was thinking okay they they are mortal locks to make the opening day roster so we're going to go through those options as well but I don't know. I I don't necessarily think that there's a guy whose decision surprised me. I think that there were some spring training performances that surprised me. And the good news is those are getting rewarded. If you played really well and you're a top prospect in spring training, chances are you made a roster, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. And, And it's really one of those things that. You always hear the, oh, they'll get a chance to make it outright, you know, in the spring. and they I guess, never believe that. I don't believe it. I usually don't believe it. I, I feel like because that's a team kind of banking on, OK, if this guy doesn't go nuclear, we'll say he needs to work on some things. Right. Maybe that was the approach that both the Cardinals and the Yankees had. We will never know. But what we can say is they meant what they said, at least to a certain degree. You have to give Jordan Walker and Anthony Volpe the credit, though, because they literally gave them no choice. I think Walker. Going in had every had every shot to make it and the way that he played really put it over the top. And we'll talk about the defensive thing that is still a little bit of a, a concern for me. But the Cardinals are looking to win a World Series. And if they think Walker helps them do that from day one offensively, then that's a decision that you should make. That's when you put the development secondary. And, and I'll talk about kind of the point I made there on the just baseball show. Uh, But with Volpe, I think the odds were severely stacked against him. Like, I think he had to be nearly perfect to make the team. And he was nearly perfect this spring. We know the makeup's off the charts. So I think just being around and being around the team, he he showed just kind of how, how much of a veteran he is. We have quotes from everybody, from Aaron Judge to Donaldson to Boone all saying, this kid's a pro. So I think that was the first test. We knew he was gonna pass that test. Yeah. The test on the field was remarkable too, because not only did he hit every single time I watched and every single time I checked in on Twitter, but he also defended really well. And and, and that was actually a question because I, I think he's a good shortstop. I think there was a question of how's the arm gonna play there? How how good is he going to be with you know balls coming off the bat at like one ten now? You know, how will the instincts be? It looks like he's ready to go. I still think he projects as a second baseman with Peraza at short, but they optioned Peraza. So it looks like Volpe might be playing a lot of shortstop. Do you agree with that assessment? Like, I feel like Walker had going in maybe the the more fair opportunity, which is crazy to say because I think the Yankees need Volpe more. But it felt like Volpe had to move heaven and earth to be able to make this team, and he just about did that.
1: Yeah, I think that there was a soft landing spot for Jordan Walker. You know what I mean? Like there were guys that were in his way, but nobody better than Jordan Walker. You look at Volpe. Yes, he's a top 10 prospect in all of baseball, but they had a top 40 prospect that looked really good in an MLB cameo last year that is already a better defender at short blocking Volpe. So I was thinking. All right. Like Volpe needs to straight up win convincingly against Peraza in that battle versus Walker. If he hit really well, what's stopping him? You know, cause like there was a semi opening at DH. We were looking at a Yepes Gorman platoon. There's a semi opening in a corner outfield spot. I think that Walker for the most part is going to be a DH, but there was a spot to be won as opposed to the Yankee situation where. There was a spot that could be won, but the other guy had to lose it, too. So I think it was almost like twofold. You know, yeah. the Cardinals really wanted Walker to win it versus the Yankees. Obviously, you're very happy that Volpe won it, but it was not necessary that he won.
0: No, and especially because you you already started Peraza's clock. Uh, you know, Peraza was somebody that showed well in, in a little bit over a dozen He's games right. last year. Yeah, but, you know, didn't have the strongest of springs. Um, I liked Peraza out of the gate going into this spring just because of the defensive prowess, because he already had a little bit of taste of the big leagues. And, you know, acknowledging that Volpe has a higher offensive ceiling. I just felt like baseline. Right. If both of them are going to presumably maybe struggle out of the gate, it's safer. Raz is safer. He's impacting the the game more as a defender. Uh, But again, I think Volpe kind of showed that he can be more of an impactful defender than people thought. Um, And then also just did what he did with the stick, which let's be honest here, man, like this Yankees lineup. They need another above average bat to really put themselves over the top. I mean, I think they're still the favorites to win the division. They're a fantastic team, but there's a drop off in the back half of that lineup, especially with the infield. Like we were we were knocking the the. Yankees on the just baseball show for kind of saying let's run it back on the infield. Well, here's one way to, to not run it back, call up your best prospect. And if he ends up being a a really, really good player, which is very possible, right? Then you have a major upgrade in the infield from within one thing I want to highlight. And that I think is, is important here, is we talked about how we didn't totally believe it when teams would say, this guy has a chance to make it out of camp or whatever this i think is an example of the of the new rule actually playing a part in helping against service time manipulation sure it only helps with you know elite players because the rule as it stands is if you get votes right if you finish in the top three i don't know if you have it in front of you jack but like if you finish in the top three or two in in rookie of the year voting and you debut on opening day your team then gets a draft pick right like that's what just happened with j-ron The Mariners got a pretty early draft pick for this upcoming draft because they had J Ron on the roster opening day. And he won Rookie of the Year. Uh, but I believe you even get some draft compensation if if your guy comes in second. Um, I, I don't know the full scope of that rule. I should have pulled that up before we recorded. But regardless, I think it plays a big part because you, you, if you're the Yankees, you feel like Volpe's got a great shot. And if you're the, the Cardinals, you feel like Walker's got a great shot to at least place in Rookie of the Year voting. Do you have the rule up? Um, I've got the, the other side of the rule where if you finish
1: first or second in rookie of the year voting, regardless of when you debuted, you get a full year of service time. So if a guy were to come up on June one and tear the cover off the ball and finish second in rookie of the year voting, it doesn't matter. You get one full year of service time.
0: Yeah, which is which is also great because that helps the player on the other side and also disincentivizes from, you know, kind of delaying what what seems like an inevitable uh, performance from like if you call up look at Adley, right? Adley came up later and almost almost one rookie of the year in, in that respect, too. Here you go. A new system put in place from ESPN. A new system put in place now
1: rewards teams with extra draft picks if they promote their top prospects on opening day. A player who receives a full year of service time and finishes in the top three in rookie of the year voting or top five in MVP slash Cy Young voting will earn his team an extra draft pick coming after the first round.
0: Yeah. And I think that plays a huge part in this, too. Yeah. So it's it's cool to see that rule kind of play a part. We we, we tried to to do so many different things for service time manipulation. And I think there was just there was no way that you were going to be able to do something that was extremely cut and dry, but you were able to incentivize or disincentivize. And I think that was enough here. And I think that's a part of why we saw these teams do this. So real quick on Walker. Um, I wanted him in the outfield every day, because I I think he's got the tools to be a great defender out there, or at least a good one. He's an above average runner with a 70, maybe an 80 arm. Uh, But the reads and the routes out there are rough because he's never really played the outfield. And um, he just needs more reps out there. That's why I wanted him in triple because it seems like it's going to be hard for him to crack that outfield in in St. Louis. When you have, you know, Lars Newbar, who's a great defender in a corner, you got Tyler O'Neill who's could play center field, great defender in a corner and you have Dylan Carlson, who's a great defender in center field. Um, So with that dynamic there, Usually it seems like Jordan Walker is going to be that D.H. I think he kind of took Juan Yep as his spot, uh, but there's going to be days where a left handed pitcher comes in. You don't want Lars Nubar in that game. Uh, that could be a game where you start Jordan Walker in the outfield. There's going to be days where they want to give the oft injured Tyler O'Neill a day off. That will be a day where you start Jordan Walker in the outfield and, and maybe move O'Neill to the DH or or just give him a, a rest day. And then we'll just see how Dylan Carlson is. You know, if he's not impacting the baseball the way that we've been waiting for him to do, then maybe he's not an every single day player, too. And certain days, you might want to go more power heavy with the lineup against a soft sure. throwing lefty, especially if Carlson's not as consistent from both sides of the plate. So I think there's still a, a, a path to Carlson or excuse me, to, to Walker getting at least a few days of outfield work a week. Uh, And if that's the case, then you can really understand the move overall. If he can get out there just even two days a week, uh, playing some outfielding and and continuing to work on that, you know, in live BP and things like that, um, he, he should be able to still hone in on that skill.
1: Yes, but is that not worrisome that he's not getting consistent reps like obviously playing five days a week in the outfield is
0: way more beneficial than two days at the upper level? No, I mean, Um, I'd love to see him out there more. I would. But, you know, if you're the Cardinals, you know, we got to put ourselves in in their shoes here. And this is the thing I kind of had to tell myself as because I was saying the same thing that you were just saying. And right. I, I guess the, the devil's advocate is if you and I are, are you know, trying to, to win a World Series this year and we're in charge of the St. Louis Cardinals and we feel like Jordan Walker is going to make us a lot better than Juan Yepes, which I love Yepes, but Jordan Walker is kind of a different He's beast, better. right? Yeah. Then I think we're going to say, hey, I, I think... Well, we can we can revisit the defense down the line. Walker can get work. We'll we'll figure that out. But I want to put our best foot forward here. And and I appreciate the Cardinals doing that and maybe putting something like defensive development on the back burner, because at the end of the day, 90 percent of Jordan Walker's value comes from the bat, whether he's a good defender in the outfield or not. Uh, And I think that's really what it boiled down to for them, though. I would love to see him in the outfield five days a week because he has the tools to be a really good defender.
1: And what do you think Walker wants to do? Right. It's yeah. Hey, do you want to go develop defensively in Memphis or do you want to yeah. DH for the Cardinals on opening day? And there you I, go. I know yeah. what the answer is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I Well, you could see his answer from uh, just the way he responded to finding out that he got called up. Right. So, yeah. And talk about another guy that probably impressed the hell out of everybody with the way he goes about his business. Another 20 year old that just. It, you think he's 30, right? I mean, both his parents went to Ivy League schools. He was committed to Duke. Um, like You could just tell he, he was he's smart. He's a smart kid that just like knows how to go about his business. So I think that's why both of these guys are the guys that we see make the team. He's also a mammoth human being. Like if you watch that video and you see the dap up, I'm like, oh, my gosh, your arms are fire hydrants absolutely insane so really excited for those two guys congratulations to them and we get to see them from opening day um yeah. so that's going to be a lot of fun uh, the last thing i want to say on Volpe is did he he looked the part man the game just looks did not look fast for him whatsoever i think there's going to be times where walker you know might swing and miss a little bit you know the sliders do give him a little bit of trouble but he's going to run into bombs Volpe, what was shocking to me was like every aspect of the game was slow to him like he seemed to be Really, really comfortable, as as if you know he he had been playing in the big leagues for a couple of years. So that's always a great thing to see.
1: Yes. Um, now, when one guy gets the call, the other guy has to have a tough conversation, and we can dive into Yepes and Peraza. Now, I know you dove into Peraza for a moment, but I mean the guy hit a buck ninety and slugged three ten and fifteen games. I think if he was over that Mendoza line, we could be talking about Peraza. On the opening day roster, the starting shortstop on opening day, Uh, they opt for Oswaldo Cabrera as like the backup shortstop with IKF on the roster as well. Uh, And Oswald Peraza goes down to Scranton. That's tough. And I ask you, did that show Brian Cashman's hand? Is Peraza on the move for a starting pitcher because the projected five in January is now down to two?
0: Yeah, so I actually think no. I, I think no, because remember, Glaber Torres is a free agent after this year. A- a- and I don't think they want to keep Glaber Torres, right? Like, I don't think they're re signing Glaber Torres. No interest. I almost think it's more likely we could see Glaber on the move. I don't think they should do that because Glaber's a proven bat and and we don't know what Peraza is going to do. I think Peraza is good. I think he can play but the like, Yankees are trying to
1: win a world series. You'd rather have a proven bat in the lineup,
0: Correct. Correct. And I mean, even, even an inconsistent Glaber Torres hit 25 homers, 27 homers and, and, you know, play decent defense at second base. I think they hold on to Peraza. I think if something comes up, if they get the right opportunity, I think, I think then you make the trade, right? Like I saw somebody foot like Peraza and something for Roger, like Trevor Rogers won't happen. because I, tomorrow, I tomorrow. saw one, one straight up. Yeah, like the Marlins can't do that now. The their rotation is just not deep enough after trading Pablo. But for example, like if that was on the table, yeah, then you maybe maybe you send it in. Uh, I don't think that's going to be on the table. And I think that they need to look at the future there a little bit, which is, you know, hey, what's the, the future of our middle infield going to be? And I think it's Peraza and Volpe for a long freaking time, which could be one of the best middle infields in baseball. So I, I think they can go out and make a trade another way. Uh, I think they have enough of the other pieces out there. Like if I'm Cashman, I'd happily trade one of my Dominican Summer League Roderick Arias types or or some of those guys that are four or five years away and then reload an international free agency later. Would you move Pereira for a big name? Yes, I would. And I love Pereira, but that's the guy I would probably rather move because I feel like the Yankees, they, they can go find another outfielder at some point and, yeah. and Pereira is still a year or two off. So I could see something like that. Got you. We got some other names to go through and you've got them kind of compiled. So I'm going to let you kind of like lead us through it. Do we want to start with basically all of the guys who made it and then we'll go with, you know, kind of some of the surprise omissions? Yeah, real quick. Let's roll through Yepes because in 19 games, he had a 609 OPS
1: this spring. He had one homer, 12 RBIs in 19 games. He hit 224 with a 328 slug. I, I understand that like that's not good enough, but that was pretty shocking because he supplies defensive versatility. He can play a corner. He can play first in a pinch. He can go play third. He played six games at third last year. So I, I was shocked that that guy was optioned in place of Walker.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's crazy where the Cardinals. That's a team that needs to make a move, right? Yes, Yes. Like, like if if Yepez is a Memphis Redbird, Yepez should be on
1: another major league team and you should have a starting pitcher in place of one Yepez.
0: So you saw the, the the trade I floated on on Twitter, which ultimately ended up being null because not that it would have not been null because they're all fake trades. But uh, it, they, the Braves wouldn't have been able to do it because it turns out Kyle Wright's starting on the 15 day IL, which I guess we can we can get to that in a second, too, because, yeah. uh, you know, th- that's one that we were kind of like Schuster or Dodd, Schuster or Dodd, Schuster or Dodd. We never considered the fact that someone could get hurt and it's both. And the yeah. Braves end up adding both. I floated the idea of Yepes for Dodd, which I think would be perfect for both sides, but not if Kyle Wright is hurt. Now, now both of those left-handers make the rotation. Yepes has nothing left to prove in triple-A. This is literally like we have nowhere to put him and we're going to stick him there. It sucks for Yepes. Like, I don't blame the Cardinals because you went with Jordan Walker, but man, okay. like, I would love to see Yepes get a shot somewhere else. That's a guy I I wouldn't be surprised to see moved in the next few days. I don't, I don't think it happens, but like, wouldn't surprise me at all. We always see a couple like surprise final moves before opening day. Um, It's just how many teams are willing to part with starting pitching right now of all times, right? Like right now, it's not, it's not going to happen. The only way I could see it is like, a change of scenery candidate like an Ian Anderson, but do the Cardinals even want to do that? Like, I, I don't see it. It sucks because Yepes is like behind like a Burleson, you know, and and, and a Burleson is I, that was where it was surprising. Like Burleson making the team, I agree. Is like compared to Yepes is pretty pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because Burleson is an outfielder. Like that's yeah. just what he so is. And, play first, you need someone to spell Goldie. Like no. Not really. And like Yepes, I don't know. I just think Yepes offers a little bit more of a Swiss army knife look for Ali Marmol. Um, And Burleson, like I love Alec Burleson. I've talked to a lot of players that love Alec Burleson because, again, he doesn't walk that often, but he doesn't strike out that often. That guy just like puts bat on ball and hits it really hard and plays a good corner outfield because he's got a hose. He was a former two way guy. So. I appreciate that they have another lefty bat on the bench, yeah. but yeah, that was pretty shocking. But we can get to Schuster and Dodd now. Um, Jared Schuster, let's start with him. 18 and two-thirds in four starts, one appearance out of the bullpen. He had a one-four-five ERA, so that's three earned runs, seven hits in 18 and two-thirds innings, punched out 18, walked four. That's a whip of 0.59. Schuster was somehow untouchable this spring. And while he was really good last year, he was not untouchable. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like the stuff is better. And that is excellent news
0: for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, it's amazing, even when this team seems to have a a, a gap, right? Or like, oh, could you imagine like we were going into the year if, if Kyle Wright goes down? Like, oh, now they have an older Morton. Um, you know, Strider was banged up at the end of the year. Like, we'll see how things go. And no, of course, they have both Schuster and Dodd just dominate through the spring training, like you said, with those numbers. And then now, when somebody gets hurt, it's like, oh, cool, it makes a decision easier oh. here. Obviously. Yeah. I don't think either of them are going to be as good as Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright was spectacular last year. I I broke down a lot of those adjustments that he's made and I'm, I'm all in on, on him, you know, in terms of what he has become. And I think he's going to be able to sustain that based on the way he's adjusted his arsenal. But man, when you can plug in two lefties who, you know, are going to give you a shot, right? Like they're going to go six innings, five, six innings, two, three runs on a bad day four runs, they seem to be impervious to the blow up. We've seen Schuster how much in the minor leagues, just never really blow up. Even when he's off, he's going to give you five innings of three runs. And you're like, you're still in the game, especially if you're the Braves. That's all the Braves can ask for, right? That's all they need to ask for because that's, that's going to keep them afloat. until Kyle Wright comes back. You know, what's funny though, dude, we're going to have the same conversation in a few weeks when Kyle Wright does come back where we say who gets bumped. Dodd or Schuster. So really, this just kind of delayed the inevitable. But what's awesome is it'll be a lot easier to make this decision with maybe two or three, maybe four regular season MLB starts under each of these guys belts.
1: Yeah, I mean, the audition continues and I just walked you through Schuster's numbers. He had a one, five, four or a One, four, five, one of those two in, in 18 and two thirds and seven hits against him. Dodd struck out more guys. Four earned runs in 18 innings, 15 hits against him, 20 punch outs and four walks. So call it a wash. Like, I guess Schuster had better numbers, but these guys are both going to surpass that by the time Kyle Wright is ready to go. So you double the sample size and you have a better idea. Maybe one guy continues to rise. The other falls a little bit. Um, Now, I, I guess the question is, is the loser, quote unquote, of that battle a Gwinnett striper or a member of
0: the Atlanta Braves bullpen? That's, that's the great question. And that's one I am very fascinated to, to find out what happens. I think it depends on how they pitch because if you have, if you have, let's say Dylan Dodd, for example, that gives you three starts and he's pitching to a a low three ZRA. Looking really good. How do you send that guy down?
1: Yeah. He's more of a strikeout artist than Schuster
0: is. Yeah. Yeah. So if either of those guys, but even Schuster, let's say he's pitching well, how do you send that guy down? I would rather honestly option one of my long relievers. Like it doesn't Jesse Chavez technically have a roster spot here like Michael Tonkin. Like that's a guy that they signed out of out of uh, indie ball. So I don't know if they can option him. But the problem is the rest of this bullpen is is kind of solidified. Right. Like Lucas Lutke, you're, you're not you're not optioning him. Nick Anderson, I think, is healthy and ready to go. So he's got a spot. Kirby Yates, healthy and ready to go. Dylan Lee, Colin McHugh, Joe Jimenez, A.J. Minter. It, it's going to be interesting. I, I think there's going to be one of those scenarios where it's just a guy that's way too good for triple A, similar to the Cardinals point, may have to get option to triple A. But they're, they're really going to be like the the star of the practice squad and ready to to come back whenever. Remember Rizal Iglesias is going to come back too, which only further's this this active roster pinch and he probably yep. will come back around the time Kyle Wright comes back.
1: Yeah, and I assume they they DFA Jesse Chavez or DFA Tonkin because they don't have any options remaining, but um yeah, but can I just can I say I think the answer differs on which guy wins the battle? I think if Dodd secures that spot when Kyle Red comes back, I think you send Schuster to Gwinnett because he is more of that like true starting pitcher. He's better when he's over six innings as opposed to two. I think Dodd can be way more effective than Schuster over two innings because I feel like Dodd's stuff can tick up. And again, the strikeouts are way more present there. So I think if the answer is Schuster, like Schuster won the five job, then I think Dodd can go to the major league bullpen If Dodd wins the five job, I may prefer to see Schuster in triple.
0: That's a good point because
1: Schuster, I don't, I don't need Schuster out of a bullpen, man. He's a starter. Like Schuster is just a starter. That's like putting it. Yeah, it's like putting Burley light in the bullpen. You know. Yeah, no,
0: it's funny. It's like I'm thinking of like even the Marlins with like Braxton Garrett. He's He's like that extra man, bro. I'd pay money to not see him coming in relief, throwing 91 mile an hour fastballs. Like what they do is is they, like again, I always love to bring it up because you love pitchability lefties. You don't throw a fucking pitchability lefty in the bullpen. You can't Absolutely do Absolutely not. Do it. You can't do it. Um, so I'm with you. I am so excited to see how they handle this because we just get to learn more about Alex Anthopoulos through these situations and, and learn more about like different approaches to the game. So it should be fun. Yeah. Uh,
1: Oscar Colas with the White Sox is going to break camp and he will likely be the opening day right fielder. You've been high on Colas since the midway point last year, I think when he was kicking ass in Winston-Salem, right? And then he got the bump to Birmingham. Colas, if the spring told us anything,
0: this guy is truly major league ready. So, I mean, you're you're a White Sox fan. You're, you know, I think we've talked about how like you and I both have kind of, you know, removed a little bit of the uh, of the like fanatical fandom, you know, but to our core, like those are the teams we root for. We want to see him do well and and like decisions still like impact you one way or another how do you feel about Coloss making the opening day roster? I'll turn it on you first and then, I'll, and then I'll do my whole breakdown here, but you know, like this is another one where he had a chance out of camp and this, this one, I believed too though, because the White Sox didn't really have a choice. I, I like, did, did you believe that he truly, truly did have a chance when they said he did? And how do you feel about it now after seeing the spring? Because I, both of us, we're a little bit hesitant about him starting the season with them just because of the approach and, and just some of the the rawness to his game uh you know how do you feel now that he has made the team
1: yeah I mean I I could have told you in the moment that like he truly had a shot to make this team because it was either him or Gavin sheets or Larry Garcia in a corner and that sounds terrible yeah and like sheets we know. Is Andrew Vaughn level bad defensively in the outfield? So Colas was going to be a defensive upgrade. And if he could hit just a little bit, like if he could clear Gavin Sheets, I think you're looking at the opening day right fielder. Um, That's not a high bar, unfortunately. And I think that Gavin Sheets has been the root of White Sox frustration for two years now. Yeah. Um, I, I think that white Sox fans are really happy that Larry Garcia did not make the opening day roster and sheets will be on the bench. I think white Sox fans are very happy that Gavin sheets will not be in the opening day starting lineup. Now they're excited about Colas because he is a top prospect. He's a top 100 guy consensus. Uh, um. He hit three homers, 26 games. He got a very large audition. He got a very large sample. In spring training, he walked one time in 64 plate appearances.
0: Yeah. So one time
1: that's like that's video game stuff. That's road to the show. (laughs) Like I'm going to swing at everything. And that's what burns you when you get to the major league level. I do think unless you're a guy
0: like Michael Harris, that's just so damn good. And and here's the thing is, is his batted ball profile is kind of similar to Michael Harris. So that that does work in his favor, right? Like this dude hits the crap out of the baseball. Which is consistently hard. The ground ball rates are a little bit higher than you'd like to see, not as high as as Michael Harris's, but a slightly higher than you'd like to see and it goes right around 46% last year for a power hitter. You'd probably rather see that in the low 40s. Harris was like in the 50s, which is nuts. Uh but what Colas does is just murder fastballs. To your point, he he Walked legitimately one time, which was the one thing I was looking at, but what also stands out, which is really important is he didn't strike out. Um, And, and in spring training, something I've kind of noticed is, is that you just don't see as many walks period, right? A lot of pitchers are going fastball heavy. A lot of them are pounding the strike zone. They don't care about getting burned. They're not nibbling corners. But I am. That is one thing that I'm going to follow through the first month, because that's what's going to make or break. I think Colos in terms of being a 730, 740 OPS guy and being an 840, 850 OPS guy, because I think he's going to slug. I think he's going to slug in the in the mid to high fours. Uh I really think he's got the ability to do that. But if you're walking at a, at a four or five percent clip. It's going to be hard to put up a good OPS, and it puts more pressure on the hit tool, and that's my one concern because the hit tool is average, the power is plus and then some, but the approach is just not great, and and that's something that really needs to get better for him because it's going to get tougher to, to consistently. Just find the gaps and, and and sneak balls through the infield and hit home runs like you got to take your walks. And he was a guy that chased around 37, 38 percent of the time last year, chased around 30 percent of the time this spring. Like that's going to be something that could impact his overall numbers a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, but I, I think that there's going to be some comfort there for for just White Sox people watching it and being like, OK, like, you know, we're, we're trying right now. We're not mailing it in a hundred percent,
0: hundred. And that's the thing too, is like, this is a team that needs to start hot. And, and yes. there's a chance that Oscar Colas can hit 30 home runs this year. There yes. is no chance that Gavin sheets is hitting 30 home runs this year. No. So that's the difference too. One last thing on Colas that I really like hits lefties. And I think that's something that really helped his case. He was actually a reverse splits guy last year, 115 plate appearances, he had 362 against lefties. So that's a note. Also, if you, if he played all of his spring training games and guaranteed rate field, he would have had five homers this spring. So he's definitely been swinging it pretty well. And with spring training stats, you sneak one more of those homers out. we say, whoa, he he really had a nice spring because his OPS probably goes up 40 points. Um, The the other thing that I I really like is he crushes fastballs, as I mentioned. And even if he struggles with breaking balls, you can have enough success hitting heaters to be a, 260 guy and hit 20 home runs and i think that's exactly what he can do he hits velo really well but against four seamers last year jack 380 380 batting average with almost a 1000 ops that that'll play even if he struggles against the breaking balls if you can hit lefties and hit fastballs that's enough baseline wise he might be frustrating from time to time but who isn't and that tim anderson can be frustrating from time to time oh yeah luis robert luis robert Is frustrating a lot, but those guys are both very productive. Um, So, you know, I I think he's kind of cut from the same cloth and this White Sox team is probably going to walk as as little as anybody in Major League Baseball. That's fine
1: by me. I hate watching walks. Um, All right. You mentioned that we could be getting news like while we record the podcast and we did just get news. Bryce Terang made the Brewers opening day roster. So just as we all expected, Terang is on the team. He is likely the starting second baseman on opening day. He hit 280 with a 730 OPS this spring in 15 games, a double, a homer. He was three for three in the stolen base department. This guy, I mean, you talked about it. It it could be Horner light this year with with how – safe he is how good he will be defensively how many bags he's going to steal when he gets on base and he's got the ability to sneak out 10 to 15 homers
0: yep. at, at uh AM fam AM fam I'm excited cool. about him man I really am um I'm glad he. I would have been that one I would have been floored if he didn't make the team so I'm glad he did um you you hit the nail on the head I think he brings everything you kind of want to the game there at second base um, I think that's what what I would look for in a second baseman is the Nico Horner, Rice Turang type. I think he's a Nico Horner starter kit, as you mentioned. Um, yep. and, and I think there's a little bit more juice in there than people give him credit for. So especially in that stadium, he might surprise people for those on, in your fantasy leagues. Pick him up, because even if he is not hitting to the degree that, that we are hoping, his defense is going to keep him in the lineup every day and he's going to steal bags. I promise you he's going to steal bags. I think he was. Did you say what he was last year? Because I, I think off the dome, it was like 30 for 32 or 30. It was last 32 year. 32 for 35, 34 for 36. Damn. Okay. So I was close. That's even better. Um, he's going to steal bags, especially if he's not hitting as well as he should. He's going to be like, I'm going to give you value on the, with the glove and I'm going to swipe bags and he might be hitting in the nine hole, which I love. I think that would be a great spot for him. So um, I, I'm I'm a big fan of where he's at, and I think this is an underrated lineup. I think so too. Um, one guy, well, two guys, really,
1: if we want to talk about Dearden and Yaner Diaz for the Houston Astros, that look like they could be breaking camp. Dearden more likely than Yainer Diaz, so I do want to start with Dearden. But Justin Dearden was a guy that like broke out. I think out of nowhere, he was on the older side. Right, he started in low A last year as a 23 year old. He has a 930 OPS. He gets bumped up. He has a 930 OPS. Uh, Sorry, that's 2021. And then you go to 22 and as a 24 year old, 92 games in double and OPS over a thousand 32 games in triple a 700 OPS. But all in all, that's a 942 OPS that he pumped out. Uh, And Justin Dearden, who will be the fourth outfielder for the Houston Astros this year, hit 324 with a 1043 OPS in 19 games this spring this guy hit the crap out of the ball 40 doubles 24 homers one of the very few guys in minor league baseball last year with over 100 rbis and justin dearden looks like one of those guys that you've never heard of before but he happens to be that houston astro that gets really good really quickly a la david hensley yep. a la
0: chaz mccormick and it keeps on going i i think he's a great bench bat i really do um you set the scene perfectly he's just quietly climbed. And the Astros have so many of those guys. I was just on the backfields yesterday and there's like four or five really impressive hitters that are slated to start the year in, in high a double a, maybe even triple a. And I'm just like, man, these guys get no fanfare, like no fanfare. Um, and, and it's just always seems to be the case. And, and Dearden's kind of the latest example of that. He's 25. He's going to be 26, but he's the, the perfect, like the epitome of elevate, elevate and celebrate. Like he does not hit the ball on the ground, 30, 35% ground ball rate last year. Like, that's what I want from a corner outfield guy. That's not going to like fly. I I want him to hit the ball in the air and and hit home runs. And he's foul pull to foul pull, which I love. This is a guy that you can plug in and he, and he's going to hit man. He's going to run into some homers struggles with the breaking ball a little bit. Like, so that's one thing that may keep him from being, you know, a a regular, but for this Astros team, great bench bat. And I think Dearden's going to make the squad.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, too. Yainer Diaz, what do you think? Uh, it's Diaz and Corey Lee. 19 games for Yainer Diaz in the spring. He had 41 plate appearances, uh, 8 extra base hits, 7 doubles and a homer, 8 driven in, and 41 plate appearances. Excellent. Hit 325 with an .892 OPS. Thing that jumps out here, this MF had a 325 batting average and a 317 OBP. Didn't walk once in 41 plate appearances. Don't care. It was fun to watch him hit this spring. Dude hates walks.
0: He's kind of cut, cut from a similar cloth, man. 37, 38% chase rate. Um, but the bat to ball skills are good. In, in he doesn't punch kinda, out that much. He doesn't punch out. The, he's the epitome of I can hit the ball. like really, like really, I, I can post good contact rates, so I'm going to swing a lot. I feel like the Houston Astros are one of the most forward thinking organizations in major league baseball. I have a feeling that if he's with the big league team, they can get him to hone in on the approach a little bit. So it's not as expansive. That's really the only thing he's not as good of a catcher as Corey Lee. But to me, this is, this is a joke. It's not even a thought between him and Corey Lee, especially when Martin Maldonado is your starting catcher. How about having a backup catcher who could actually be one of the better offensive backstops, in baseball, like he he is that good of a hitter. He's a top 100 prospect by a lot. almost consensus, I would say, because of the bat. 106 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. I know he's playing on the moon in some of those environments, but he hit an oppo bomb 475 and a pull side bomb 475. Even on the moon, that is crazy. The power is that good. Um, if he walks a little bit, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be a problem. Like, I think he could legitimately be a one of the better young catchers in the game, if he can walk a little bit and get the defense going, why not have him working behind Martin Maldonado? Give yourself, he'd probably be their best bench bat if he can reach his ceiling or even close to it. I, I, I think this guy has to make the team. What, is, what does Corey Lee bring you? He's just a classic backup catcher when your starter is the best version of a backup catcher. I, I, I wouldn't get going with him over, over DS.
1: Yeah, doesn't Corey Lee bring you a Cal Berkeley education? That, that's got to mean something, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm good. Not really. If you mash, you mash. I'm good with that. Uh, two more guys that I want to go over. And I was thinking we talk about the guys that get optioned, but um, the, the two main people that I wanted to talk about being option, they were on the same team. They're going to be part of maybe the best lineup in all of minor league baseball in Syracuse. Um, that's what Beatty and Vientos getting options. So they're going to join Ronnie Mauricio and Francisco Alvarez. Absolutely insane. So we're going to talk about that team. And we're going to talk about those guys, I think on the minor league team preview that we're going to do a little bit later this week. So two more guys that look like could make the opening day roster. Will Benson with the Cincinnati reds has already made the opening day roster and Benson may play center for the Cincinnati reds could be in left. Benson had an awesome spring the Reds had a spring that I think should make their fan base really hopeful and really happy with how good Christian Encarnacion Strand was, with how good Ellie de la Cruz was. And now you got Benson coming out of nowhere. And yes, Stephen Hadger goes back in that trade to Cleveland. But um, I, I think that Benson factors into the Reds plans now.
0: Yeah, it was it was Hadger who was the player to be named later and, and Justin Boyd, who is the, the second round pick out of. I believe it was Oregon state uh, for, for the reds last year. I didn't even love the Boyd pick in the second round. Um, I, so I, I clearly the, the Reds didn't love it as much as as some may think too. So uh, ultimately I think that was a no-brainer trade. It makes more sense cuz we were almost like what the heck? Why, why would the, the Guardians trade Benson for, you know, just a recent second round pick? Hadger being involved makes it make more sense because they clear a 40-man spot and get I think Hadger's a, a no-doubt top 30 prospect, probably top 20. If he's healthy, has a chance to be a top 15 and then, you know, you get a guy that was a second round pick last year. I I don't love him but You know, Boyd could still be a nice, a nice player. So uh, that was a a great move for both sides. And I think for the Reds, like Benson's a difference maker. Like he could be their most impressive rookie this year. If it's not Spencer Steer, it's probably going to be Benson. And and not only that, they didn't really have any outfield or center field options. It was going to be what Nick Senzel. Now, now you've got Benson out there. And I think the power is going to play, man. He's going to walk and Homer. And even if he strikes out a lot. I think he's still going to give you plenty of value there. I think he's a big part of, of what the Reds are going to be building the next couple of years. And the fact that you could do that for one of the three pieces in the Tyler Malley deal and Hadger. And then, you know, a guy that you, I believe, underslotted in the second round, like tip of the cap. Good stuff. Major. Uh, another thing to mention about Benson, six
1: for seven in the stolen base department. So, yes, that's a mammoth dude with mammoth pop. He but can run.
0: He can run. Yeah, it's a good athlete. Good athlete, Inner possession receiver, dude. I, I I'll tell you, I nev- I'll never, uh, I'll never forget playing him as a as a sixteen year old and him just jogging over to our side of the field and just ro- throwing foul pole to foul pole just cause. Like oh, it's just ass. there's guys like that that are just were born different, and Benson was born different.
1: Yeah, um, Casey Schmidt, the last guy that I think we should talk about because Casey Schmidt lit the world on fire in Arizona. 14 games. He had a 950 OPS while hitting 340. He had two doubles, two triples, two homers, eight driven in. Casey Schmidt was flat out awesome for the Giants, and you and I, I think both think that he should make this roster over in
0: JD Davis and Wilmer Flores. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how this how this shakes out. I it, he needs to make the roster before I I you know celebrate and take. Take my uh, my my Casey Schmidt victory lap because I'm so excited about him. But I, I am interested to see how this shakes out. They love Wilmer. I don't think they ever uh, Wilmer's uh, probably locked his spot in next year's uh, opening day roster as well. So trying to figure out where he fits. Because David VR, I, I I like VR. I think he can swing it. Had a really rough spring. Um, but are you going to send VR back down to Triple, who's already demolished Triple and, and really doesn't have anything else left to prove? No. Um, Probably not. You have to have Blake Sable on the roster. JD is the one guy that you you, you maybe could justify it, but like, are you going to boot a, a big leaguer who you know has some, has some success under his belt just to expedite the process of a guy that's barely played in triple. I, I could see Casey Schmidt being a, just a, a opening day roster casualty just because of the way things shake out presently. But if they want to go with an extra infielder, instead of an outfielder, then they could go with Casey. The problem is I don't I don't think they have really anyone else that can go plug into the outfield as as a bench option because of some of the injuries that they have with with especially Hanager hurt. Luis Gonzalez is hurt and Austin Slater is hurt. So it it is a weird spot to be in. I ultimately think he might not make the team just for that reason. But there's a reason why he is still with the team right now. And it's because you can't send this guy down. He has been so spectacular that this is one that I don't think he had a chance coming in and has legitimately made them have conversations that they weren't expecting to have over there in San Francisco, which is a Testament to Casey Schmidt who looks more powerful. And we always knew about the glove.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. I think when the giants are like truly good, Casey Schmidt is going to be in their plans after that 107 win season in 21. Uh, Peter and I on the just baseball show were like drunk on the Kool-Aid, and you were like, guys, this roster's not great. Again, we go into this season, and I think people are just assuming the Giants are going to finish third in the West. I wouldn't assume that. Like that roster's not good. So 100%. I think when when shit hits the fan for the San Francisco Giants this year, I think Casey Schmidt's going to be one of the very fun things to watch at Oracle Park.
0: A hundred percent. And that's why I think he starts in triple. Um, because I think he's going to go off there and and that's fine. Get, get some confidence hitting on the moon, you know, in that PCL. Um, I think he's got confidence from the spring. Obviously he'd rather start in the big leagues, but if he's not playing every day, I think that the giants and David VR has also earned the opportunity to, to, to prove whether he can sink or swim through the first month or two. Um, if he, if he doesn't perform, then, then you bring up Casey Schmidt. Also, if Brandon Crawford maybe gets banged up or isn't performing, then you bring up Casey Schmidt. If Tyro Estrada is banged up or not performing, like there's a lot of different like question marks. That could be a reason why you bring up Casey Schmidt. So you might as well wait a month and a half or so. Uh, but man, I would love to see him on the opening day roster, but only if he's starting at third base. And if he's not yeah. starting at third base, then, then forget it. The one thing I will like to say though, is, is, I kind of like VR as a bench bat. Like, are are you expecting him to, to prove to you that he's an everyday third no. baseman? Like, I know no. he had a nice stretch last year at 124 WRC plus in the big leagues, but he struck out 32% of the time. Again, I think he earned a look, but what are you expecting here? Uh, I, I think it's more likely that Casey Schmidt's going to be your everyday third baseman moving forward. That said, I don't blame the Giants for wanting to see it through with VR.
1: No, you got to understand the ceiling of these two guys. And, you know, I, I think it's been clear as day this spring that the ceiling is so much higher for Schmidt than VR. Um, now, VR has service time under his belt. So I I honestly think it's as simple as
0: that. Yeah, 100 percent. So I'm going to be interested to see how they handle it. But once it's Casey Schmidt Day, you'll be hearing from us here because it'll be a lot of fun. And I don't sure. think he'll ever look back once he gets up there. Nope. That's it for me. Um, yeah, the one thing I wanted to hit on real quick was Beatty. Um, and I think Vientos had an awesome spring and we were expecting Vientos to to kind of get option to AAA, have to prove it a bit more, especially with the defensive limitations. Beatty really, really showed well. He swung it well. He also defended. Um, I, obviously, Escobar is their third baseman right now, and they've got a Ross active roster crunch, too. But. I feel like Beatty is just about ready to go. Uh, I, that's a guy that I would, would have liked to have seen make the opening day roster. He doesn't. Um, I, I'm interested to see what it, what it will require. Like at what point the Mets say, hey, it's time for Brett Beatty. I guess another one that they don't want to have him up unless he's getting everyday reps. And splitting time with Eduardo Escobar at third probably just wasn't wasn't what they wanted for him.
1: But, like, I, I mean, does a platoon with Beatty seeing 67% of the time not make a ton of sense? I think, I think it, does. it does. Like, Escobar hammers lefties. Beatty is a lefty bat. Like, have Beatty see every ready, Have Escobar see every lefty. Done deal. I thought that was what was going to happen on opening day, and it's not. So I'm kind of flabbergasted by that one.
0: Yeah, instead the bench looks like it'll be Tim LaCastro, Tommy Fam. got DFA'd. Vogelbach. Oh, Castro got, got DFA'd? No, no, no. Uh, Ruff got DFA'd. Oh, yeah. Ruff got DFA'd, which makes it even more interesting. And Guillaume, glue guy, he, yeah, he, for sure. he owns the bench. Well, you're going to have the guy on the bench
1: in Vogelbach that literally said, I can't buy a fucking hit on my way to first base last week.
0: Yeah, I love Vogelbach. Though. That was great. That was, <laughs> that was great. great. But, you know, he's good in that DH role. And I think if there's no vogey, like then then we would have seen Beatty here in two seconds, right? Because Beatty would be that left-handed hitting DH. for sure. Uh, so Vogelbach blocks Beatty. Who would have thought? Uh, in an indirect way uh, with also Eduardo Escobar. Like, think about that. I think there's going to be a point in time. It could be as soon as the end of this year where we're going to you know, What are we doing? <laughs> remember when Eduardo Escobar and Daniel Vogelbach blocked Brett Beatty? But also Beatty, another guy that from scouts, teammates, anyone that I've been able to talk to, even opposing players, they speak so highly of the way that he carries himself. And, and just in terms of the fact that like he acts like a 28 year old man um, and, and it's easy to forget how young Beatty is because he's kind of a kind of a prospect fatigue guy because he was early draft pick has been good for so long. Um yeah. But man, I think he's ready, and I'm excited to see what he does when he gets a shot. He's going to get a shot pretty early this year, I think. Especially if injuries are inevitable, and and there's a lot of older guys around this team. But also, you know, if, if Escobar is not performing, I, I think it'll they won't wait very long because they got some guys knocking on the door. Hundred percent. All right, that'll do it for this spring training episode. Again, we'll probably do some more. We'll have probably one more episode as we break it all down because there's going to be more decisions to be made that we'll want to talk about. Uh, Probably we'll have a top 10 done for you uh, at some point this week. And then the top 100 list is just about finalized. Now it's all about you know, pretty much transferring the write-ups, filling in any, any write-ups that I may have missed. Um, and also I've been you know going to the backfields over the last couple of days, actually last couple weeks, going to go a couple more times before, uh, you know, before everybody has to report and have some, some thoughts that I'd like to put all out there too, and, and, and go over with you as well. Got to see the Nationals and Astros guys yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Um, you know, especially with the one field of just like Elijah Green, uh, James Wood, Brady House, Christian it was Hart when susana was supposed to throw but he didn't it would have been that would have been just the 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 holy trinity basically uh but didn't end up happening uh but yeah we will have more on that front too stay posted for a lot more on the prospect lists and top 100s coming out quite soon as always thank you for listening we'll talk prospects with you tomorrow